This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a volunteer in the communications realm for Chapter 49. I'm also a retiree. I'd like to welcome you to the Chapter 49 podcast. We have a special podcast this week. By the way, this is normally a weekly podcast. However, we will take a week off next week just because uh, schedules have worked out that way. Uh, But what we're going to do is do a special edition today. It's the National Agreement that will be the center of that. The National Agreement sets the stage for labor relations between the union and the management at the IRS. You know, there are many things IRS employees just enjoy routinely today that have been the result of hard bargaining at that table. Examples, flexible work hours have been around a long time, originated in the National Agreement. The awards program was initiated in the late 1980s. It only came about through hard bargaining, and we're still working to make that a better system. We are now uh, enjoying telework. It was known by another name before, but it was initiated in the 1990s. A lot of use of that in these days, and it's only there because the National Agreement set that up many years ago. There's a whole long list. I'm just giving you a few basic examples of what has come through after bargaining in the National Agreement. That's why the start of a new National Agreement and those talks, that's a very key point, and we want to talk about that today. So as the negotiations are set to begin, I think it's very important to note that our Chapter 49 is very well represented. We're fortunate to have our own chapter president, Duncan Giles, on the permanent bargaining team. So, Duncan, welcome once again. Thank you. Good to be here, Larry. And we're also very, very fortunate to have the uh, person in charge of negotiations for the National Treasury Employees Union, NTEU, of which, of course, Chapter 49 is a part. And Ken Moffat uh, works out of the National Office in Washington, D.C., He's here for our return appearance on our podcast. So, Ken, welcome once again. Thank you, Larry. Good to be here. I want to talk, first of all, and I, I know the two of you are going to be most involved in, in this bargaining, and we're, we're not going to be able to get into details. I think that's, it's just important to know that when you start a, a negotiation, you don't want to get into details and negotiate in public. So a lot of the early stages particularly, and most of it really is going to be done in private. It's all public once it's done, but... Um, I think the most important thing is what I've tried to already say, and I'd like to hear it from your point of view, Ken, just what it is we are negotiating here, just what this agreement's all about. Sure. The the national agreement is, uh, I guess for uh, lack of a better phrase, is is the master agreement, national agreement that covers um, everyone in the bargaining in the IRS. And um, for, oh gosh, well over, well over, I would say, 35 years, we have entered into national level bargaining to negotiate and renegotiate uh, these national agreements periodically, depending on their duration provisions. So the current agreement is a six-year deal that was executed by IRS and NTU back in 2016. At uh, the three-year midpoint of it, there was a reopener provision that permitted the parties to renegotiate uh, a limited number of articles. I think the parties actually opened about seven articles 
three years ago. The, the rene renegotiation of those articles were incorporated into the national agreement for the last three years. And what we're coming up on now, this coming October or September 30th, is the termination of the 2016 agreement. And we're starting the process uh, of renegotiating the uh, entire collective bargaining agreement uh, now. And it's, um, it's being done pursuant to ground rules that the parties uh, entered into years ago when we first uh, negotiated the agreement and uh, when, we, when we reopened certain articles. Um, and those ground rules basically set up the procedural uh, process for, for renegotiating the, the term contract. So the ground rules, just to go into that real quick, um, you know, we initially, before the pandemic arrived, um, we had this, the ground rules were set up to start bargaining essentially a year before the duration clause lapsed. Uh, so that would have been last September, October, November, December. If we reached uh, an impasse in collective bargaining, um, we would go uh, we would utilize the services of a private neutral to mediate the dispute and, uh, if necessary, to hear evidence on issues that we couldn't uh, reach an agreement on in a fact-finding procedure. All of that, all of those dates got moved by the parties uh, on mutual agreement by six months. So we're now starting uh, in March. Um, actually, we start next week. And um, there's going to be several weeks of virtual bargaining because of the pandemic. And then we've got several weeks of in-person bargaining starting in the middle of May. Uh, and it will go through June. Um, and same process as uh, that we had in the ground rules before, which is um, if we can't reach an agreement after six or so weeks of bargaining, we would go we're going to go before a uh, private neutral that the parties have uh, selected for two weeks of mediation. And if there's no agreement, then we would go to fact -time. All of that is going to happen before um, August under uh, the current uh, time frames. I'm going to let Duncan Giles come in and uh, the two of you can kind of talk about what's coming up next as far as how this national agreement will be done. So, Duncan, it's yours. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, Ken, this is going to be very unique, I think, for all of us in doing some virtual bargaining. And that, you know, we're all used to doing face-to-face -face and, and trying to, you know, either forge relationships to try and further uh, agreements or something along those lines, which I think it will be a very different dynamic uh, starting it out virtually. What's, what's your take on that one? Um. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the dynamics are going to be different. We've not done um, we've not done virtual bargaining over the term contract before. Um, you know, I think the parties are committed to um, making sure that uh, we address uh, as many issues and articles and language proposed language changes as possible even though it's going to be in a virtual uh, environment and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, utilizing technology uh, to meet both in joint session 
and and to be able to caucus, uh, you know, separately as teams uh, during that that time. So while uh, the 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 process uh, or the format is going to be slightly different, I don't think there's going to be any um, any fall off in the ability to exchange, you know, to, to communicate about it, to discuss issues thoroughly. Um, and to have uh, some sig significant back and forth on um, on on what's been proposed. Uh, yeah, if past history is any indication, I don't think back and forth communication is going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. No. And um, you know, I I think that the parties have gotten some experience at the you know just the virtual. Uh, discussions because we've had, uh, you know, many meetings uh, over the last year by, uh, by a teleconference, um, you know, both sides have kind of internally, you know, used, uh, you know, different processes like Microsoft Teams or Zoom or whatever to, to uh, communicate. And, um, you know, that, that was one of the, one of the, one of the, you know, one of the reasons why I think it may be, or hopefully is uh, uh, a little bit easier to, to get into the swing of things. Um, yeah, because I mean, you, because and, uh, you and Doreen uh, Greenwald, the special assistant to uh, National President Tony Reardon, have had those weekly, now weekly calls uh, with the IRS during uh, COVID about different issues related to COVID. And I think those have been very beneficial in working through situations and issues that have come up so that it can be as safe as possible for the employees as well as, you know, getting the mission done for the agency as well, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and we've had, you know, on those calls, while they're not video conferences, we've had, um, you know, at times like 13, 14 people on those calls, and they go for, you know, an hour um, initially we were doing them three times a week and then we cut it back to two times a week. And now we're, we're meeting with the IRS every Wednesday from five to six p.m. essentially and, um, addressing, uh, COVID related pandemic related uh, issues. So, yeah, we have, um, you know, we have, uh, we have, uh, you know, significant experience with them talking, you know, just talking to them. And when we're talking about we're going to be doing some virtual and then we'll go to face-to-face, -face, um, talk a little bit about, if you can, from past experience, um, how it works with the mediation and the fact finders. Because oftentimes, as, as you and I both know and Larry knows as well, you're just not going to come to an agreement on some things. So you need somebody to come in the middle and tell us what they think um, is, is the best way to go. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it's uh, I I like I would like to think that what the bargaining that is done um, it it is kind of framed in a way by um, who is in uh, the White House uh, to a certain extent because even though we've agreed to this private neutral for mediation and a fact-finding report, ultimately both parties um, have retained a statutory, the statutory right that they have 
to go to the federal service impasses panel. So that is the, the federal service impasses panel is the component of the FLRA that is specifically authorized by Congress to resolve collective bargaining impasses. So if we did not have a private neutral coming into this bargaining at the end of it um, to get that person's experience, um, under the statute, we would have to go to federal mediation and conciliation service and have a federal mediator uh, try to assist the parties. And sometimes that can be difficult because, uh, you know, they, they have uh, a schedule that, that they, uh, they have other matters that they have and you can't always get them right when you want them. And that can take a prolonged period of time sometimes to get uh, with a mediator and get uh, the assistance that you need. And then if you can't reach an agreement with FMCS assistance, uh, the, the dispute resolution mechanism in the federal sector is you've got to go to the federal service impasses panel. And whoever is the president is the person who gets to appoint the seven members of the panel. So, you know, the bargaining, as you could probably tell, it's shaped politically by whoever is in the White House. Um, but the, the process that we use, which is, it doesn't get rid of that statutory process, it replaces it to a certain extent. And that is, we hire a private uh, arbitrator, mediator arbitrator. Uh, and the person that we used last time um, is a former general counsel of the FLRA, a guy who's you know been in knows federal sector uh, case law backward and forward. Uh, he's been around the program for 35 years or more. And um, he's going to come in uh, this summer if we reach an impasse, uh, which we may. Um, and he's going <laughs> to meet, he's going to meet with the parties for two solid weeks in June, uh, you know, like the last two weeks of June. And that, that is uh you know, that is typically very helpful to get that person uh, in the room with you and to be able to caucus with you privately uh, to basically help uh, facilitate, mediate a, uh, an agreement or at least agreements on certain issues. Um, so just by, uh, you know, by way of example, the last time that we did this three years ago, um, we used the same neutral, and he was able to get uh, the parties to an agreement on every issue except one. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we've had we've had a lot of success with it, um, and we can do it on our time frame based on our schedule, and we don't have to, um, you know, we don't have to go through the logistical issues of, of uh, figuring out what mediator is available, scheduling it. You know, not being able to do it for a week at a time, or two weeks at a time, you know, that type of thing. If, I but, could, uh, if you don't the, mind, can I, can I uh, jump in here sure, for a minute? Sure. I, I just want to ask one, because most people that work for IRS are very process-oriented. And and here's what, I, I know you're kind of going down the line, there's a lot to the process. I want to kind of come back to where it is now in the following way. I had a, a professor who taught international relations, but what he, he had a certain section about bargaining and negotiations, which he said could be used in any frame, including um, union uh, management bargaining. He said, when you start off with a negotiation, any kind, 
Each, it's like a football field. He he made he just said, envision a football field, and each party start off way back in their end zones. Okay, that's where you start, and then slowly but surely you move between the forty yard lines, and you're in the middle of the field, and that's where you get your agreement. Right now, I would presume each party is in their end zones. Without talking about the substance of it, talk about the uh, early stage where you and the management are are exchanging initial proposals. Or each side's probably trying to figure out what parts are, you know, going to be able. Each side can jettison to get to the middle of that that football field. Could you just talk a little bit about the process and how that exchange of proposals early on works. Uh, again, no substance, just sort of the process. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's, uh, uh, I think that's a fair uh, and, and accurate kind of uh, representation of how it starts. Um, you know, it, it depends on, uh, a lot of it depends on what your philosophy is for bargaining. Um, and, you know, we have always looked at collective bargaining as um, problem solving. And we uh, elicit a lot of information from our chapter leaders uh, uh, to find out what it is that, um, what they think needs to be changed in the contract. So we approach it from the standpoint of uh, of that, basically, there are, you know, there are a number of articles that always kind of have uh, issues with them that are, you know, that, that lead to difficult bargaining. Um, but the process is pretty much you walk through, um, you know, articles and you explain your proposals. Uh, each party explains their proposals, and and you get to listen. Uh, to each other, uh, discuss the problems, and um, you know, as you as you go back and forth, you know, you're thinking about a lot of different things about uh, well, what are your priorities? What do you really want? What do you, you know, what do you need? What are you willing to not uh, walk away from? Um, you know, what's really important to the chapter leaders and ultimately to the membership. Um, in terms of, uh, of, of what the, uh, the contract should say. Now, that's, you know, that's how we have always approached it, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I would say that in the last round of bargaining uh, at the midterm table, we were, able to reach, we were able to reach agreement on every issue except one. So with your hypothetical football field, yes, both, started, both of the parties kind of started in the end zone, and over, you know, a number of weeks of bargaining and explaining and exchanging data and information uh, and that type of thing, um, you know, you, you were able to, to reach an agreement and get to the, I guess, the, if the agreement is the, the 50 yard line, you know, we were able to get there on, on every issue except one. Now, that's not how all parties approach it or how all bargaining goes, um, but that's theoretically how bargaining should go. Um, you know, there is this concept of either hard bargaining or bad faith bargaining, which we uh, actually witnessed in the last uh, couple of years uh, at, at collective bargaining tables. 
and that's where, you know, if that happens, there's just a breakdown of that model. In other words, one party, it doesn't matter about getting to the 50-yard line ever because there are, you know, there may be external forces at play um, or political reasons uh, or forces or that type of thing. And um, it, it's, not, it, it's not about getting the yes at all. It's about seeking to impose or force change um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, yeah. When that when that when that happens, then mm-hmm. you know it's it's kind of like a breakdown of the of the process of the model that you explained. Well, I can tell you, Ken, uh, there were some good negotiations and some bad faith uh, talks back in the days when we had a lot of no local negotiations. So <laughs> I can uh, tell you that was true, Duncan. I'm going to throw it back to you. Yeah, I think it's important for the members to understand how really critical this is to, you know, their day-to-day life. Basically, we're both management and the union have uh, needs and wants, and we're trying to get something that works the best for everyone. As you alluded to, sometimes we can't come up with that, but can you explain a little bit why it's so important that um, we make sure to protect as many rights as possible for the employees? Sure. Well, um, you know, outside of pay, um, which we can't bargain for uh, many of the employees in our units, including IRS, um, what what you have in terms of subjects of, uh, of bargaining is, every, is just about everything else. So, you know, the statute sets up the the scope of bargaining as uh, unions get to bargain over conditions of employment. Conditions of employment has been defined by the FLRA over the last, you know, 40 years. Um, There are things that are excluded from bargaining that are just off the table. There are things that are permissively negotiable. Um, So things that are off the table are uh, issues like classification. You know, like the union can't say, you know, all employees at the IRS will be either graded 13, 14, or 15. You know, those things are illegal for us to propose. Oh, that went on my retirement plan. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, everyone can choose between San Diego or Palm Beach to to work, you know, that type of thing. So, I mean, what you have is you have a body of case law where the FLRA has said, uh, you know, the membership component of the FLRA has has said, you know, these types of proposals are negotiable. These issues are non-negotiable. Uh, these types of proposals excessively interfere with management's uh, rights, so they're off the table. And, you know, within the, the construct of the law, uh, we try to bargain and do bargain for uh, as many rights and benefits uh, that we can obtain for members. I mean, this, the collective bargaining agreement um, governs the conditions of employment for people in Seattle, Austin, Jacksonville, Florida, call site submission processing. Um, you know, it, it sets it up. Uh, it's a national agreement and it sets up all of the rules um, and rights and benefits and processes uh, under which employees uh, work and, and managers should, uh, you know, abide by. 
let me let me follow that up with this with this one, and I'm pitching underhand here. Have you ever gone into an agreement and gotten everything you wanted? Uh, not not typically. Yeah, I, and that's not, that's not what typically. I want people um, to understand is that there's diet. You know, there's two sides to what we're looking at, and it's you know why couldn't we do this or why don't we get this? Well, you know, they didn't well, want that. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, there's this expression in, um, you know, in either negotiations or that, uh, you know, uh, attorneys might use or others that, um, you know, they talk about uh, the best settlement um, is one where both sides are not happy. Yep. And that just kind of points up that, you know, the point you just made is you're not going to get everything that you want. Uh, but neither is the other side. Um, but, you know, getting an agreement, um, getting an agreement is, is always better than having language imposed because the parties know what the, you know, the conditions on the proverbial shop floor are better than anyone else. So uh, the guy that we hire, um, who is the former general counsel, uh, of the FLRA, he doesn't know what the what is going on in um, in uh, you know in the Indianapolis call center. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on in Fresno, you know, in the right. pipeline of submission processing. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, you could go on and on and on. The parties know what's going on, and that's why I think it's crucial for you know the best the best resolution is a voluntary. Uh, an agreement between the parties um, because they know, they know, you know, the IRS knows their, their businesses and their structure and their, uh, you know, the various divisions and what they need and what the uh, kind of pain points are for managers, just like we know um, from our chapter leaders what the pain points are for members. Yeah, it's almost like the stones. You can't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Well, yeah, I, well, and, and just looking at it from the political aspect of it, you know, when you think about the fact that the, the way is that ultimately a group of presidential appointees could come in and determine what your contract language is going to say. Uh, that's where kind of the political aspect of it comes in. So the bargaining that we're about to engage in would be completely would be a completely different type of bargaining um, if the former president had won the election than what it will be based on the outcome of the, the recent election. Gotcha. Larry, do you have another one? Well, I would just ask uh, this to wrap it up, if you don't mind, Ken. Uh, my understanding is that uh, this is going to go on for a number of months. We'll be starting just a few days after we record this. We're recording this on March the 4th. Uh, and I think the goal is to have everything wrapped up and, and agreed to by mid to late summer. Is that a doable thing? I know it's never possible. You don't know how the dynamics will work until you're actually in the bargaining. But do you think that's a, a reasonable timeline? I do. Um, I think it is, uh, it's going to take a lot of work. It always takes a lot of work. Um, yeah. 
but you know, if you look at the, if you look at um, the IRS contract is 55 articles and about, I don't know, 40 exhibits, let's just say. And if you look at it from a, from uh, as a spectrum, there are, obviously there's going to be easy articles and articles um, uh, for which uh, the parties either have not opened or there aren't that many changes to them. Um, you would be able to get an agreement and clear off a number of articles. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have articles that are going to be, um, you know, require a lot of discussion and negotiation and uh, will be difficult. And so I think that, um, you know, we always approach it as, uh, um, uh, as, as something that's um, worthy of uh, significant effort. And we've got, uh, you know, the national president, Tony Reardon, has appointed uh, a lot of uh, really excellent chapter leaders to uh, participate as members on, on the team. President and, company uh, excluded. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the guy that's on it, you know. Um, but you know, you, you think about the 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 level the level of expertise that's brought to it is significant. And so, when you have both sides that have, you know, Jim Bailey, thirty five plus years at NTU, uh, I'm you know approaching twenty years. Chapter leaders that are uh, over twenty years of experience, that type of thing. Um, you know, you, you pretty much know um, a lot of the issues and a lot of, like I said before, the pain points and different things that are a problem. And, you know, you roll up your sleeves and, uh, and get to it. I have one question, I think, maybe in the minds of a lot of people listening who work for IRS. So I'll just throw it out there to see what you can and cannot say. Do you think, based on just the exchange of uh, proposals you've seen so far, that people working for IRS will see some new benefit in this contract they did not have before? Um, I'm hopeful that that's the case. I am. Um, And, uh, you know, we certainly look at it as an opportunity when the contract is open to try to uh, expand on rights and benefits. so I think I'd just leave it at that. I'm very, I'm very hopeful that uh, we, we will. I mean, like I said, you know, when our approach to bargaining has always been um, looking at it as uh, problem solving, fixing issues that are uh, that uh, present problems for our members. Um, you know, seeking to make sure that they're protected, um, due process rights. Um, you know, not subject to arbitrary and capricious actions by management, you know, that type of thing, preventing, you know, discrimination, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, folks have access to different, different things that might, might not have been available to them before, you know, like paid parental leave and that type of thing. So, you know, part of it is also just kind of updating the contract to, you know, address things in, in addition to trying to expand uh, benefits. This may sound like a small thing, but I go back to um, my early days at IRS in the 1980s, and I remember one contract provision that uh, Bob Tobias, then the president of NTEU, insisted on being in the contract was that all IRS employees are entitled to be treated with dignity and respect. And you might not think that's 
needs to be said. But, you know, I can remember using that contract provision with a few uh, situations that I, I dealt with. So uh, just, well, you're right. just one example. Be, mm-hmm. It might not be something that should have to be written, um, but it is, I think, necessary language. Sometimes uh, people need to be reminded of that every now and then. Yeah, th- yeah. Th- thanks. And Duncan, uh, anything you'd like to ask or say here as we uh, wrap this up? Uh, I just want to say I think it's going to be, as always, an interesting experience. As Ken alluded to, um, between Jim Bailey himself and uh, Doreen Greenwald, those are three rock-solid people. Um, there's going to be an illustrious list of chapter presents with a wealth of experience. And we're going to be doing what we can to try and make sure that the employees are taken care of as best they can. And that, you know, we're, we're also looking to do, okay, if the service has an idea that may not work for employees, can we figure out a way that works better for employees, but still gets accomplished what the service needs to do? And that goes to the core of what Ken's been talking about. So it's, it's going to be uh, a tough, tough several months. Um, but I think at the end, it can be very rewarding uh, once we come to an agreement. I'm, I'm like Ken, hopeful. Uh, Ken, this is your last chance. Duncan and I have asked several questions. Anything you'd like to say uh, before we end all this? Uh, I don't think so. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's always, like Duncan just said, it's always a, a interesting and exciting kind of time. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, the IRS term contract is something that we kind of got to value greatly. And it's the larger bargaining unit at Institute. It's a very important contract. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what we can do over the next several months. And uh, you just heard Ken Moffat. He's the Director of Negotiations for the National Treasury Employees Union uh, in Washington, D.C. And, of course, Duncan Giles, our chapter president, who will also be a part of uh, the bargaining team for the national agreement. We just wanted to give you some background as those talks begin and will continue on for several months. So we appreciate you, uh, Ken and, and Duncan, being with me today. I thank all of you for listening. We, um, if you look, if you listen and like this podcast, uh, the podcast is available on several different platforms. All you have to do is just uh, uh, do a search podcast by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. I produce a number of types of podcasts and that list. Just look for the Chapter 49 podcast. So we thank you again for listening and hope that you are all being very safe and please be kind. Thank you.